Good morning. Uh, Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. It's quite a promise. God basically says, I'll give you whatever you want if what you want is me. John Piper said, God is most magnified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So if I'm enjoying God and I'm finding pleasure in him, that is when God is most magnified in my life. The best worshipers are happy worshipers who delight in their God. Now, what does that look like? What if you could see this happening? That you could be a fly on the wall and watch two humans at their best, full of joy, satisfied in their God. You could see their facial expressions. You could hear their words. God is most magnified in us when we are most satisfied in him. What if you could see what that looks like? You got a Bible handy? Go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And I've titled the sermon today, The Magnification Meeting. Two women come together and they worship the Lord. They come together and magnify the Lord. Why don't you stand for the reading of God's word? We're in Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 56. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones 
and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Oh, Heavenly Father, I pray that here at Redemption Hill this morning, we would have a magnification meeting. Similar to that meeting of Mary and Elizabeth. That we would come together filled up with Jesus. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Ready to praise your name and declare the goodness of God that has been bestowed on our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. So Mary meets with Elizabeth, and together they worship the Lord. This famous passage, Mary's song of praise, is referred to theologians as the Magnificat. And we have two miracle pregnancies. Mary has heard from the angel Gabriel. She's now pregnant, and she goes to see her aunt Elizabeth. Old Aunt Elizabeth, who is now six months pregnant with John the Baptist. Her husband, Zechariah, had said to the angel earlier, I am old and my wife is advanced in years. And I love how he's blunt about his own age, but he uses a euphemism for his wife. I'm old, she's advanced. Now, this story begins with Mary in Nazareth, which is far away from where Elizabeth lives. And Mary must have longed to get out of town before she started showing, longed to meet with someone who loved her, someone who, at least in a small way, might understand what she was going through. So Mary visits Elizabeth. Verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Mary is from Nazareth. But Elizabeth is far away in the hill country of Judea, which is about 80 miles as the crow flies, perhaps around 100 to maybe up to 120 miles traveling by road. This would have been a trek. If Mary traveled in a caravan on wheels, it may have taken her three days. If she traveled by foot, it could have taken her up to 10 days. Likely she had other family members with her, helping her on the journey. And Mary stayed for three months, according to verse 56. Likely she was there for the birth of baby John the Baptist. And likely she stayed a few weeks after that before she returned home. Notice she entered the house of Zechariah 
and greeted Elizabeth. Makes you think, where's Zechariah? Perhaps he was away at the moment. Perhaps she walked right past Zechariah and went straight up to Elizabeth, her aunt, for whom she had traveled so far. And when Mary greets Elizabeth, when Mary's voice is heard, two extraordinary events occur. John leaps and Elizabeth is filled. Verse 41 And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. The Spirit of God moves in John the Baptist. This baby yet unborn, the Holy Spirit moves the baby and he leaps in Elizabeth's womb. We know that John was filled with the Holy Spirit even before he was born. Luke 1.15, earlier in the same chapter, the angel, angel tells Zechariah, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. John is the first one to recognize the arrival of the Messiah. He leaps to show his excitement. He recognizes that the mother of the Christ child has entered the room. And that she has spoken. John leaps and Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And God speaks through Elizabeth. Continuing in verse 41. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry. Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. This woman pregnant with the Holy Spirit Verse forth with this blessing. Now, let me give my quick Protestant caveat. We do not worship Mary. We don't pray to Mary. Mary is a sinner just like us, a woman who needed a savior. But Mary is a godly woman. And by God's choice, she is honored above all other women in that she alone has the privilege of birthing the Messiah. Blessed is the woman. And blessed is the fruit of her womb. The Bodine Bakery in San Francisco, I think the actual pronunciation, pardon my French, is boudier. Nah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I was practicing it. I, I don't think I can get it. I got to work on my French. Some people say Bodine. Some people say Boudin, but it's something like Boudin. <laughs> but this bakery has a mother dough that is 160 years old. This French sourdough survived the fire and the earthquake of 1906, where it was saved in a bucket by Louise Bodine, Isidore Bodine's wife. Some years later, the Bodine Bakery moved facilities, and my friend's grandfather had the privilege of transporting the mother dough in a stagecoach. He rode across the city, while people waved and applauded. As he drove the stagecoach, he was honored 
because of what was inside. He was just an ordinary guy, but what was inside was very special. Similarly, Mary was just an ordinary girl, but what was inside her was very special because within her was the bread of life. What she transported was very special. Mary carried the Messiah. Mary's pregnancy was so special that her aunt Elizabeth felt unworthy to be in her presence. Verse 43, and why is this granted to me? that the mother of my Lord should come to me. Now, Elizabeth has had a lot of surprises lately. If you remember, her husband was chosen to go into the temple. He comes out of the temple, a mute, unable to speak. He tells her through writing, she's going to have a baby. She's going to have a son. And she, like Abraham's wife, Sarah, gets pregnant as an old woman. A lot of surprises. But this one takes the cake. Elizabeth is in the presence of the great one. The Messiah has arrived and she is humbled. Verse 44, for behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now, it seems at this point that Mary has only just said hello. I imagine she burst through the door and she cried out, Shalom, Aunt Elizabeth, it is so good to see you. She wraps her arms around her aunt. Mary has given a greeting. And maybe that is the only information that Elizabeth has at this point. Now, Mary knows more because the angel told Mary that Elizabeth was pregnant. But perhaps by the Holy Spirit alone, Elizabeth knows that Mary has received a word from the Lord and that Mary has believed that word. Mary is not just a well-behaved young lady. Mary is a woman of faith. Elizabeth says, blessed is she who believes. What an encouraging thing to say. She looks Mary in the eyes and she says, I see faith in you. Redemption Hill, we've been through a lot in the last few years with Pastor Tim and all. I see faith in you. Swanson family, I see incredible faith in you. Elizabeth calls out the good character of Mary. God has told Mary something outlandish, and she believes it. Why? Why would she believe that God's Messiah is being formed in her womb? You don't believe wild, astounding tales unless you trust the person who told you. Mary trusts 
God. So she believes. And Elizabeth honors her for her faith. But mothers, isn't it also a wild, astounding thing that God would form another human being inside of you? Isn't it an incredible honor that he would entrust a little life to you? When someone is pregnant, we say, congratulations. Congratulations, Elena. And when a virgin is pregnant with the God of the universe and the Savior of the world, we say, congratulations! What an honor! And what a beautiful reunion between these two women. Hugs, tears, joy, laughter, hearts bursting with worship to God. And at this point, Mary bursts into song. Verses 46 through 40, 55 are a song or a poem. And they are what theologians refer to as the Magnificat. Magnificat is Latin. It literally means magnifies. So the title is derived from Mary's first words, my soul magnifies the Lord. When Mary is blessed, she notices the hand of God at work and she worships God. Is that what you do when you're blessed? Do you attribute the blessing to coincidence or to the goodness of God? When you are blessed with a sunny day or good news or a pregnancy or the love of a friend, does your heart burst forth in worship? My soul magnifies. When you magnify something, you make it bigger. We have some magnification equipment up here today. Thank you, Rudels. A microscope. This one has two eye holes. That's very cool. Uh, a microscope takes something small and makes it look bigger than it is. A telescope makes something look bigger like it is. And that's what Mary's doing. She's telescoping. She's showing off the bigness of her God. Mary's purpose is to magnify God. She states that at the outset. Then she gives some examples. Examples of what God has done to deserve magnification. The main gist of what she is saying is this. God, I praise you, or I magnify you, because you bring down the lofty and you lift up the humble. Mary's song is not focused on self, but on God. And when she does refer to herself, she does so for the purpose of displaying the goodness of God. 
Charles Spurgeon once said, if I were to write a poem about myself, it would be meh, and that's all. Mary's focus is not on the glory of self, but on the glory of God. She begins with the purpose statement. Verse 46, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Next time you go to prayer, I'd encourage you to start your prayer with those words. My soul magnifies the Lord. Just start with those words and see where you end up from there. I tried it the other day, and it was, it was very special. It was a real sweet time with the Lord. Mary is passionate. She's excited to worship God. Her spirit rejoices in God, her Savior. And yes, just like the rest of us mortals, Mary needs a Savior. Romans 3.23, all have sinned, and that includes Mary. And she recognizes... In verse 47, that God is her Savior. She is meditating on the goodness that God has shown her. She begins with her own testimony. In Revelation 12, 11, the saints overcame the devil by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. People can make all kinds of arguments against you and the gospel you proclaim, but it's a very powerful thing to say, Jesus Christ changed my life. I am not the same. In short, Mary is saying, God has been good to me. He has blessed me. I don't deserve it. I'm no one great. And yet God has bestowed on me this great honor. He has blessed me. Verse 48, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Mary saw herself as a servant, literally a slave of God. Do you see yourself as a servant? Do you see yourself as a slave of God. Mary had a high view of God and a low view of self. He is glorious and high and majestic. I am lowly and undeserving. I need to be saved. And because I'm so lowly and because God has been kind to me, I don't take him for granted. I appreciate him. I value him. I worship him. My heart rejoices. I'm so glad to worship him because I'm so thankful. Thankfulness is the cure to sin and temptation. Spurgeon once commented, the Bible never said, be gloomy. And again, I say, be gloomy. Mary says, my heart rejoices. Where would I be without him? Have you ever thought about that? I know personally that I would be a disaster 
I can't imagine what a mess my life would be without Jesus. And what an honor that God would look upon a sinner like me, that he would love me, that he would adopt me into his family, and he would call me son. I am blessed. Mary is counting her blessings. Continuing in verse 48, she says, For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. I will have this amazing honor. From this point forward, for the rest of time, people will call me blessed. Now, these days, a lot of women have shirts that say, blessed. They have coffee cups that say, blessed. Now, if you're a guy and you have a shirt that says, blessed, there's no condemnation here. It's nice to be blessed. Wearing a shirt like that is a form of gentle evangelism. It's a way of saying, life is good because God is good. My life is good because God has been good to me. Often in Christmas sermons, we emphasize how hard Mary had it. Long journeys, public embarrassment, scary angels, and overwhelming circumstances. But Mary never talks about these. She never complains. Rather, she rejoices. She's happy. She says, I am blessed. And next time you see a blessed t-shirt or a coffee mug, think about Mary. She is very clear. All of these blessings are not coming from an equal, but rather they are coming from a superior. They are coming from the great one. Verse 49, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. I'm little, he's big. I'm weak, he's strong. And God has used his mightiness to do great things for little old me. Holy is his name. There is no one like our God. He blesses those who fear him. Mary is clear that God doesn't just give these blessings out to anyone. God exercises targeted mercy. If you're taking notes, you might want to write that down. Targeted mercy. Verse 50, and his mercy is for every... No, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Now, she's been talking about God blessing herself. Now she turns to others, others that God blesses. He grants his mercy to those who fear him. He lets the sun shine on the just and the unjust. And that's a form of mercy. But God's eternal saving mercy 
is for those who fear him. If you fear God, you'll take your sins seriously. You will run to him and beg for mercy. You will believe on him. You will believe on his saving work on the cross, that he died for your sins so that you could be saved. Those who fear God take his power seriously. They reverence his name. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And it is this fear that is the trigger that releases the mercy of God on our lives. Those who fear God get mercy. Those who don't, don't. The main theme of this passage is this. God has brought down the proud and powerful and lifted up the humble. And Mary goes back and forth in these verses between talking about the proud and talking about the humble. The proud are judged, the humble are blessed. Proud, humble, proud, humble. Judgment, blessing, judgment, blessing. So first, let's look at the proud. He has brought down the proud and powerful. 51. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Thoughts, hearts. They are scattered in their thoughts. The mighty are confused and they don't know what to do. I think of Joshua 10.10. God threw the enemies of Israel into confusion. And Joshua defeated them completely at Gibeon. The enemies of God are scattered in their hearts. They have lost heart. They have no motivation because God has made it his aim to bring them down. Verse 52, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones. R.C. Sproul likens this to a chessboard. And someone comes by and knocks all the pieces on the ground. Knights and bishops, castles, kings and queens, all brought low by the mighty hand of God. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. And then look what it says. And exalted those of humble a state. He takes a pawn and he lifts him up. He puts a crown upon his head and he makes him king. He has lifted up the humble. Destruction to the proud and kindness to the humble. Praise be to our God. James 4, 6, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Mary here alludes to the mighty acts of God from the past. She knew about the destruction of Pharaoh's army in the Red Sea. She knew about the humiliation of Nebuchadnezzar, this great king of Babylon, ruler of the world, 
who was brought low, who lived like an animal for seven years. On the other hand, she knew about the child that slayed the giant, the shepherd boy who became king. Now let's turn to the humble. He has lifted up the humble. Verse 48, Mary refers to her own humble estate. Verse 52, she refers to others of a humble estate, and she says that God has exalted them. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Food for the hungry, hunger for the rich. The proud, the rich, and powerful get judgment, but the lowly get mercy, and the lowly get help. Verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Now, if you're like me, we trip over that phrase, his servant Israel. We don't think of Israel as being the servant of God. We think of their rebellion in the Old Testament. We think of Jesus rebuking the Jews. We think of the golden calf. We think of Baal worship. But maybe Mary here is referring to the true Israel, which would include faithful Hebrews as well as God-fearing Gentiles. The true followers of Yahweh, the remnant, those who fear God and see themselves as servants of God. They are the ones that get help. They are the ones that get mercy. Mary concludes the Magnificat by extolling God's faithfulness. God keeps his promises. He has done all of this according to his word. Verse 55, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. God makes many promises and he keeps them all. One promise he made, a virgin shall conceive. And here in Luke chapter 1, it has happened. The main gist of what Mary is saying is this. God, I magnify you because you have brought down the lofty and have lifted up the humble. That's the kind of God we serve. And that's the kind of God that Mary worships. Can you praise like that? Can you think of times where God has brought down the great? In times where he has lifted up the lowly. And by faith, can you pray like that? Do you see mighty, powerful forces of evil at work in our world? And through the eyes of faith, can you worship God knowing he will make it right? God will either bring these proud and powerful to repentance or he will bring them to destruction. Do you see the poor 
the needy, and the oppressed? Can you worship God through the eyes of faith, knowing that for those who fear him, for those who reverence his name, he will raise them up from their humble estate? And I want you to think about your own life for a second. How has he raised you up? How has he blessed you? Is it time for you to compose your very own Magnificat? In the words of Mary, can you say, my soul magnifies the Lord? Why don't you stand and let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we are here this morning to participate in a magnification meeting. You have filled us with Jesus. You have filled us with your Holy Spirit. And we know that you are most magnified in our lives when we are most satisfied in you. When we are delighting in you, enjoying you. I'm going to share a quick little story Imagine you're at a party and a friend that you haven't seen in a long time arrives at the party and she looks at the crowd until she finds you and she makes a beeline straight towards you walking through the crowd. People say hi to her, hi, and she's like, oh, hi, hi, but she keeps going until she gets straight to where you are. And she says, it's so good to see you. It's so good to be with you. The party's great. The food's great. But really, I just want to be with you. That is the kind of worship that our God desires. Can you say that this morning? God, the music's nice the baby bottles and the video and the smiles. But God, I just want to be with you. I just want to enjoy your presence. I just want to worship you. Lord, help us to be worshipers like Mary and Elizabeth. Help us to bring to remembrance your mighty deeds of the past and have hope and as we look forward to your mighty deeds of the future. And Lord, let us delight in our glorious God. In Jesus' name, amen.